Welcome to the Peanut Gallery, and my guest today is retired U.S. Air Force Colonel and astronaut, Mr. Kevin Ford. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Uh, good morning, Chris. Uh, happy to be with you this morning. How are you? Good, good. Glad to see you. Um, let's uh, go back a ways and just start from the beginning. What, uh, what got you headed in the direction of the military? Well, I, you know, I really was just interested in flying initially. It wasn't so much about the military per se, but uh, I, uh, I did have an older brother who flew, uh, David, David Ford, who lived uh, in Hartford City. He was 11 years older than me, so an age difference, but uh, took, me, uh, took me flying once. My first flight in an airplane was uh, from what used to be called Little Inman Field there in Hartford City, near, near Blackford High School. We took off from and did a little flight back to Indianapolis in a small plane, and I just got interested in flying. And I thought, you know, you know, at that uh, that age, you're kind of just trying to find a vector for your whole life, kind of. And I loved uh, I loved the flight so much, I decided to pursue aviation as a career. And then uh, the military is a good, you know, a great place for an aviator to get a start. Really great equipment, of course, in the military, all the all the latest uh, technology and everything. And thought uh, I'd take uh, roll my roll the dice and take my chances on being a military pilot first. And so uh, that's, that's how I got interested in, in being in the military. And uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this story. I've told this story a, a few times. But when I was, uh, when I was a junior in high school, <clears throat> I was uh, looking at uh, ROTC kind of. I, you know, there's Air Force Academies and there's officer training school post-college. Post and then there's this. Uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps program, and I went into to my guidance counselor and I said, "Hey, I'd like to like to look into academies and Reserve Officer Training Corps and so forth, and uh, uh, maybe uh, I, I was wondering if you have an application for the Air Force." And uh, he said, "No, we I don't don't have one in the office, but I'll get you one." And I kind of I kind of forgot about it, and about six weeks later, got called down to the guidance counselor's office and said, "Here's your Air Force application, and here's your Navy application." And here's your army application. And I said, well, I don't need them all. I just want the Air Force one. You'll do them all. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. You know who that guidance counselor was? A guy named Jim Landis. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I guess you know who that is. Yes, I know who and that, that is. And that's a, that is a true story. And uh, I, I did all that. I did all three applications. I, in, interestingly, I only was offered the Navy and the Air Force application, not the Army. Or the, or the scholarship, I should say. And I had, had that then the option of choosing a few schools. And, uh, I chose the Air Force ROTC and ended up going to, to Notre Dame uh, for, my, for my university and then, uh, and then flew. Started flying right after I finished university. So that had a big impact on my life that somebody, somebody took the time and did, did what they could to help me out and set me on the right direction. There's a lot. There's probably that happened to me 100 times in life, but that's one of them. <laughs> so you ended up joining NASA in 2000. How did that all um, come about? Well, uh, I I was a test pilot uh, in the Air Force, first a fighter pilot, and then I was a test pilot for uh, about uh, four or five years. And uh, all the all the test pilots around me were kept applying to go fly the space shuttle, you know. So that really seemed like a big long shot uh, to me, but. Since everybody else was doing applications, uh, I decided, you know, to give that a whirl too. 
And uh, so I applied, uh, first time I applied as a test pilot to be a space shuttle pilot with NASA was uh, two, uh, 1994, actually. So I put an application in and I interviewed with, uh, with NASA down here. They flew me down here. It's a one week, uh, kind of a one week stay where you do a lot of medical, like some orientation tours, of course, and uh, an, an interview, a formal interview, you know, with people who walked on the moon at that time. So it's a little bit intimidating. That's kind of the big interview of your life, you know, at that point. But uh, but I wasn't selected in uh, for the that class, and then I applied again in nineteen for the nineteen ninety six class, and again for the nineteen ninety eight class, and wasn't selected either of those times either. And uh, as I was approaching forty years old, I decided I'd apply one more time, and I did. And uh, I guess all the good candidates had already. Been- <laughs> It's like that or something. No, it's really kind of the way the ball bounces. How much flying time you've had lately, and your health at the time, and how many pilots they need from from the Air Force and Marines and Navy and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes into the equation. So I was lucky enough to pick up a slot for the class of 2000. We called it. Uh, we were called the Bugs because the, back then the Y2K bug. You remember the computer glitch was uh, was all the things. So they called us the bugs and started in 2000 with a group of 17 people. And then we all flew in space ultimately. So it's really, really great. Yes. Yeah. Sounds cool. Uh-huh. Um, so okay. what are you doing nowadays? Now that you're retired, you still have some affiliation with NASA. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm uh, getting at the point in my life where, uh, uh, athletics and stuff is like not my strong suit, right? I just turned 60. <laughs> so, and I say that because in many ways, an operational career, like being an astronaut, flying in space, in a new vehicle, or spending, you know, six months on a space station, it's, it's pretty hard on you physically. It's a it's a physical challenge and a mental, mental challenge and a, and a hardship uh, for sure. So I'm, uh, I'm not going to try to fly in space anymore, probably, unless it was a really short flight. <laughs> but I'm working with uh, the ISS program as an advisor, uh, technical advisor for uh, safety issues and uh, things that impact uh, operational readiness of the International Space Station. So I have a part-time job with them, and I'm also flying as an airline pilot for United Airlines. But we've been uh, we've been real quiet lately. So I haven't actually flown since since March. I was flying uh, out of Houston, uh, flying the 767 to mostly to South America, but occasionally London and Munich and so forth. But, uh, but I was able to do that and have the part-time job at NASA at the same time. So it was a really sweet combination for me, but you know, what's going on with the airlines at the moment. So we're, we're eagerly anticipating uh, a return to, to service and uh, getting back to flying the American people around again. <laughs> During your time, um, you were the director of operations in Star City, Russia for a year. What all did that entail when you uh, did that? Mm. Yeah, that was that was actually, believe it or not, kind of a coveted position. Uh, I I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that if it hadn't actually been for the Columbia accident. Uh, you remember Columbia? We lost in early two thousand and three, uh, and we had kind of a stand down in shuttle operations. I was a new space shuttle pilot at the time, and uh, to take a year off and go to Russia wouldn't have been an option. But, you know, the circumstances of uh, events there and so forth. And they said, uh, you know, it's going to be you guys aren't going to fly for five years, you know. So tell us kind of what you'd like to do for technical jobs and stuff like that. And I actually applied for this this job in Russia. So we had crews over there training to fly up and down on Soyuz. 
And uh, crews who uh, needed to know things about the Russian part of the space station also went over there and trained. So at any given time, we had maybe eight, 10 astronauts, uh, sometimes as many as 20 total people when we, you included trainers and some administration and stuff like that over there occasionally to visit. So I kind of uh, was, the, was the one who lived there and held down the camp and made sure people had the right visas and there was a driver to pick them up at the airport. <laughs> Everybody had a room, uh, you know, assigned and uh, just solved uh, problems, too. If your know, training wasn't going well for an astronaut, uh, you know, I could go monitor the classes. Or if, if an astronaut said, hey, you should come to this training with me. I kind of don't like the way it, you know, it's conducted. Come take a look. So so it's not just me complaining, right? So uh, <laughs> th then uh, I was just kind of the on, the point man on the ground over there for the leadership. And uh, it was excellent. I was able to take, you know, a Russian language training class almost every day too, you know, just because I was just over there with not much to do except uh, focus on the job. So that was, uh, that was an excellent uh, opportunity for me to learn Russian. And later was why I was able to fly on the, on an expedition so quickly after my shuttle flight too. So it, it bore fruit, let's say. Okay. <laughs> well, let's just go right into that. 2009. Uh -huh. 2012, um, you were uh, in space, and I believe altogether I read that over 5,000 hours you spent in space during your career. Probably, yeah. I've forgotten <laughs> what the hour count, <laughs> the hour count was. The shuttle flight was uh, was a visit to the space station, also. So we launched to to do resupply. We took 15,000 pounds, right? Of that's that's a lot of uh, that's a few pickup trucks, you know, in the space shuttle. We took a lot of things up to to uh, resupply station, and we took up uh, a crew member that would stay uh, when we left. And Nicole Stott was a crew member that we dropped off, and we brought home a crew member, Tim Copra, who had been all who'd been there for for three or four months uh, already. So we did a rotation and uh, did some installation. We installed a a thing about this uh, bigger than a normal, even big refrigerator, ammonia tank we put on the outside of the space station that we took up in the space shuttle payload bay. So, but it was a visiting flight. I wasn't an uh, ISS uh, space station expert or anything like that at that time. Just, uh, I served as a shuttle pilot, but uh, got up there and came down. And at the time I flew, that was 2009. Yeah, we launched uh, August 28th and came home on 9-11. We were supposed to come home on the, the 10th of September and we waved off a day for weather in Florida to try to make it back to Florida, but we, we still, we still landed in California. So we, we had alternate places to go in the space shuttle. So, but, uh, but yeah, we, we were up there, did, uh, did the space, the, the spacewalks and uh, really, really successful mission. We were docked about maybe nine days total out of the two weeks we were flying. And uh, I thought at that point that that would be my last flight, my, my only shuttle flight, because we were aware then that, the shuttle program was going to come to an end. Uh, so I wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, thinking that I'd get to fly in space again after that. <laughs> so on your second trip, was it similar? But I, but I did. So I, I came home and started kind of the, what am I going to do next in life process? <laughs> you know, started to think about being an airline pilot or did I, you know, did I want to join a defense company or something like that or, or just be, you know, uh, take some kind of other NASA position, but um, I, uh, because my Russian was pretty good by then, I was, I was a pilot in the class who had this kind of the skills to, uh, to start training right away for an expedition. There were some things I hadn't done 
most of the guys who go up and stay five or six months, you have to be fully qualified in spacewalking, which is a few thousand hours of training. So that's like a year's work, right? It just, just on that subject area. But then you, you also have to learn uh, the, the science and the, how the brains of the space station works. And it's just kind of a different operation from being a space station resident than being a space shuttle pilot. So the, the pilot in me enjoyed the piloting more, but the chance to go fly a long flight, I finally decided, you know, if I've got the ticket, I should use this ticket. So uh, I, I worked harder on my Russian and uh, took space, uh, some spacewalk, all the spacewalk training and got qualified on that. And then they reassigned me shortly thereafter. I think it was uh, early 2010 when they assigned me to a 2012 flight. So it's a couple years of uh, prep that you the everybody has to approve it all the partners the the japanese canadians europeans and and the russians have to improve each astronaut on a case-by-case basis uh based on their background and skills and and, and crew complement for those flying uh too i flew uh, i was assigned to fly for example with two rookie cosmonauts who hadn't even been to space before so it was going to be two cosmonauts uh, Oleg and Yevgeny, they're like brothers to me now. Uh, great, great, really great guys. Uh, Oleg's even been to visit my house here in Houston. So <laughs> and most of my brothers and sisters haven't yet either. So, <laughs> but he, so he's a, he's a great guy. He's getting ready to fly again. But so I was a fly, assigned to fly with these two rookies. And, uh, and for example, they wouldn't want a rookie U.S. astronaut to fly with two rookies. So the fact that I had flown before, I uh, gave them some comfort in assigning us as a as a crew of three. So they yeah so they they're careful about uh, the crew what we call the crew complement who who's on each crew and and I, I picked up that flight and we started training together almost almost immediately doing doing simulators together when I when I was there I would so I would go uh, for that training I would go to Russia for about uh, three to four sometimes as much as six week stays. And uh, the DOR at the time who was there, Mark Vandehei, he, he did the job I did. You know, he brought me over, gave me my favorite room, you know, made sure make sure the hot water worked and all that stuff and, uh, and did training. And I spent almost in total, almost another year in Russia between the pre-flight and the post-flight and everything. So I've, uh, I've got a lot of time over there. I know my way around. I know how to get on the train and off the train, go where, where to go in the city and everything at this point now. Almost like a second home to me. <laughs> so but uh but that flight then uh, was uh was scheduled to be anywhere between uh five and six months at the time and we were supposed to launch in september but you know technical circumstances and so forth uh we ended up launching uh october 21st i believe it was 2012 and then we stayed until march so stayed over the, the holidays and the new year. And part of it for five weeks, we were just a crew of three on board, but they do overlapping crews, crews of three uh, historically, so that uh, we, we joined a crew that had already been there for, for some time. And they show, you know, they show you all the, the tricks of the trade and the ropes and uh, how, really, how really to do things easy and where things are stored and uh, everything so and so you learn from them then they go home and then you become the kind of the senior crew on board uh we were there five weeks just the, the just the three of us and then a new crew joined us just before christmas time so and then uh, then we were a crew of six again 
So when you're a small crew, you tend to have to just do a lot of maintenance things just to keep the space station healthy. And there's not as much time to do some science. So when you go from three to six, those th new three people almost, uh, they're the excess capacity you need to be able to do a lot of good science for the, for the researchers and everything. And believe me, there's, uh, there's hundreds at any particular time and over the course of the station's life, which is almost 20 years now, we're coming up on 20 years of people on space station. So we've done thousands and thousands of experiments. And uh, you talk to people on the ground, like at Ball State University or University of Portland or something like that, right when you're doing their experiment with them. And it's really, it's really cool to be able to do that and work with those researchers. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know there's hundreds of movies out there about space, you know, regardless <laughs> of what they are. When you yeah. see them, how realistic is any of that? <laughs> So there, there's always things in them that is not realistic, unfortunately, but some of it's, uh, you know, the producers know, but they like, you know, it's a movie, right? It needs, it needs to be a little bit exciting. Uh, but there are some things, there are so many things in them that are, are rich in reality too, that it's a good, it's a good trade-off. So I, I watch them. I, you know, I really like the Martian and, and I liked gravity uh, and, and gravity, I think, uh, you know, she visits uh, uh, the Chinese space station or something like that. To totally an impossible thing to do. To, to change orbits is not possible. But uh, so some of the things weren't quite right, but the visuals were really good. And the, uh, the, the spacecraft mock-ups were excellent. And so uh, a lot of fun. And the situation, you know, in the Martian was, uh, was very interesting. So... Way, way he handled it, the psychology. So I think all astronauts enjoy watching the space movies, but uh, we're not going to claim that they're too super realistic. What <laughs> was the most fun thing that you were able to do? And what was the hardest thing that you had to do during your time? <laughs> well, to me, really, the, the standout fun things were going up and coming down. That's very dynamic flight. Leaving a, leaving a launch pad... Hearing hearing somebody silently count down for ten seconds, knowing that you're really launching into space, is is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, and to, you know to have done it from from Florida on the space shuttle, and then uh, when I you know when you climb in the Soyuz in Russia, you're in Kazakhstan. There you're all only speaking Russian. My checklist is in Russian, and you're like you know how does the kid from Indiana get find themselves in a rocket? you know, in Kazakhstan. For real? Is this a dream? <laughs> but, but super, super fun. I liked, uh, I liked the autonomous flights going up and down where you're just like when we were free flying in the shuttle and when we were free flying in Soyuz to just being in a really, you're in like, like a, like a Volkswagen minibus or something, right? That's the size of the, the Soyuz and just flying the three of you in space. And that, that's a pretty special thing. The, the come home in the shuttle was uh, was really cool uh, to do because you're really high and you're going five five miles a second as the speed the orbital speed so you've got to slow down from five miles per second to approach speed for a runway and touchdown and it takes about an hour to go from <clears throat> from orbit to the ground but you drop down really low and you're still going really fast to down at it you know at about uh, about four hundred thousand feet. And uh, you can see the thunderstorms going by and everything. And th those are the mag most magical 
and fun things uh, for me. The Soyuz, you can't really see out much. You can see the plasma out the window when you're very first hitting the upper atmosphere and then the plasma, the, the, the red fire outside goes away and you, then you hit the aerodynamic G-load where it's really pushing you down in your seat and everything. But that's actually after being in space in zero G for uh, five months, it's, it's, very, it's a struggle almost to, to, to get the air past your tongue. <laughs> so that, that's actually work coming home, but, uh, and, and then you, you land under a parachute you know, on the, out on the step of Kazakhstan. So it's a pretty hard thump down. So it's one of those things after you do it, you go, I, I, why would anybody ever want to do that twice? You know, for, for about, for about an hour, you say that to yourself and then you go, well, you know what, for, for five months in space, I guess maybe it's worth it. Now that I've stopped, stopped seeing stars and, uh, you know, I got my, my hearing back. And <laughs> so but, uh, but those dynamic events were really fun. Uh, I didn't get to do a spacewalk, unfortunately, and most of my colleagues that did, they never let me hear the end of it. I was supposed to, all my equipment was up there, but the equipment, uh, we, were gonna, we were gonna receive uh, some uh, radio, what they call radiator grapple bars from SpaceX, was gonna fly them up and they came up too late for me to go out the door and put them on. So I didn't get to do that, but uh, the many astronauts say that that's their highlight was going out and doing the spacewalk outside. So I just had to be content with looking out at a really big, big window a lot and in my shirt sleeves and enjoying the view. So the, the view is spectacular. Uh, working is, you know, very satisfying, but, but can be very difficult. So sometimes it's hard for people on the ground to understand what it's like to, you know, to have to put bolts and screws together and, when you can't lay them on a table first, it, it can be very challenging. You end up putting a lot of them in your in your mouth, you know, until you need it. <laughs> I bet people on the ground do that too. But <laughs> uh, let's yeah. talk about the 2007 Grand Prix in Houston. And it sounded like you had a yeah. experience there as well. Uh, I had a friend. Uh, he's from uh, he's from just north of the Indiana border. He's from Michigan originally. Drew Foistel, and he. He was he had he's a race car fan, so he had snagged that uh, drive for himself. Uh, but then uh, the office told him he couldn't do it because it was getting too close to a space flight. So they well they have some rules for us so that we don't hurt ourselves. You know that NASA invests a lot of money in us to get us ready for a launch date, and they don't really want us to go out and have a bicycle crash. <laughs> So anyway, or, 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 a, or a car spin out, right? So on a racetrack. So uh, he said, hey, you want this, uh, this drive and this, uh, this ride in this, it's essentially an Indy car. I think they were calling it cart maybe at the time. I'm not, I'm not sure the, uh, the sponsors and stuff have changed a little bit, but it's, it's an Indy car two seater and uh, Indy Grand Prix came and they do it. They do it on the Southwest side of Houston. So I got to uh, meet a guy climbing his back seat and uh, it was more intense than I would ever imagine. I'm not sure I breathed. Uh, we, we, we took off, we, we came out, we had to do a 90 degree turn to get on the track. And between where we, when we left the tent, where they strapped us in and the turn, we went, we went to hundred miles an hour back down again. It was just like full throttle or full brakes. And then he made the turn onto the track. And uh, part of that circuit goes around the, the Astrodome. I don't know if you remember the Astrodome, if you're, oops, I lost your foot. Yep. But uh, yeah, and it does a full 180 and they go very fast and it's uh, the aerodynamic 
aerodynamics pins you down, you know, to the track. And so you can do two, two and a half G's as you're making that turn. And uh, life experience in cars tells you, you know, you, you just spin out. You're going to go, you're going to leave the road. But no, we didn't leave the road. And I would never, if I was driving myself, I wouldn't have attempted it, to do what he did at all. So I didn't get to drive. I just rode. But it was fantastic. It was it was intense. And like I said, we were either a full throttle or a full brakes uh, <laughs> all the time. And a lot of lot of lateral lateral G's pushing me side to side. And really, really a fun experience to get to do that. I want to get on the indie track someday too. Of course, you know that's every Hoosier's dream, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, but uh, but I, all, all I can do is watch. <laughs> well, growing up and graduating from Blackford <clears throat> High School, did you ever picture yourself with this kind of career that you would be in space? No, you know, I, I didn't. I, I really hoped to be able to fly. So I kind of, when I was in uh, in college even, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to fly fighter airplanes, but if I can't, you know, I'll be just happy flying and flying whatever. So something like flying in space. I, I knew the numbers, you know, were, were astronomically against, you know, being able to do something like that. And that I just, that's still true to this day. I, um, there's a, you can put yourself in a position, you know, to get an interview to do something like that. And, but there are so few slots and there's a lot of considerations they make when, you know, selecting astronauts. And in many ways, your career just has to kind of have, tumbled in by some some luck and some random chance into the the position to get selected and and to go uh to go fly in space for sure every time we select the class the first thing they tell you is you got you guys really weren't the best that, that we interviewed we we interviewed a lot of a lot of people we could easily send you guys out the door and take it take the other 17 they're they'd probably be better than you guys so we interview all good people and you should count your lucky, you know, your lucky stars that your your application ended up on top. And congratulations, but don't think you're too big. Stuff. And it, it's really true because, uh, like those times I told you, I mentioned I, I applied several times and didn't get didn't get hired. Uh, you know, there are just circumstances where I was flying, what I was flying. You know, they don't really want to hire two F-15 pilots. From Air, from Edwards Air Force Base at the same time, they want to hire, you know, maybe okay one F-15 pilot, but let's take you know an oceanographer, let's take a Navy pilot, you know, too, and because because the cross cultural element of having classmates, uh, like we had a submarine guy in my class, right, and medical doctors, and being able to like learn from them was very very valuable. So you don't want to just take all the same same kinds of people and. You know, so sometimes it just, the ball doesn't bounce in your favor and you just got to keep trying. So persistence was important for me. Uh, by the way, Nat, like a lot of people think, uh, you know, if you applied a couple times, uh, they'll look at you like, oh, yeah, we already rejected him. We don't have to look at him again. NASA never did it that way. NASA always looked at it like, if you applied once and they, they said, man, this guy, you know, this is maybe the best candidate we ever look at. But he's young, he'll play again. He's doing some really good work, you know. There, this 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 guy's fighting against Ebola or something. We need him to be doing that right now. Oh, in two years we're going to have another class. And if he applies again, we can say, "Yeah, you were the best candidate last time. We just didn't take you because, you know, we wanted to take this guy because he's forty, you know, and you were twenty, you know, you're twenty nine. So we just made our selections that way. And if people are persistent, 
then they actually admire that. You know, hey, you applied two, three times. Yeah, you must really want it. You'll really, you really hang in there. You won't, you won't quit, right? So more likely. So they, they appreciate the persistence. More people should, should appreciate that. I think too. How much, <laughs> how much support and how important was the support you got from your family during all this? Obviously, this is not yeah. an easy process, easy task. So how important yeah. was the support you received? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, during during my career, moving around and everything, you know, you're taking, especially a military career, so you have to have kind of a family that that likes that. And my kids were very resilient in moving schools and everything. So, but uh, yeah, you know, there's uh, a lot of understanding that goes into a, to to somebody trying to do something like that. And there are times when you can give to the family and there are times when you're, you know, you're stealing from the family. There's no question about that. So very important, uh, very important part of that. And that's, that's always appreciated from, from all of us for sure. Yeah. I know you've brought a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, attention back to Blackford County, obviously because of what you did. Your brother was a state Senator and very well known. Um, I got to know, David very well in his family um, mm -hmm. and they've named a highway I believe after him in Blackford uh, a few years ago uh -huh. um, yeah how, that's that's unusual I guess to have two brothers from the same small community to make such a large impact I, I yeah I suppose so you know I always admired David and what he was doing and of course he was a big uh, cheer, cheerleader for me too so I was he, you know, he was in the Indiana State Senate, and he had, I think one time he had a thing on his lawn that said Ford for ISS, Indiana State Senate or something, and I said, ISS, Ford for ISS, I can use that one too, International Space Station. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, we, we, and we always uh, talked about our jobs, and of course I went down and visited at the State House and so forth, and uh, he was, uh, what was nice is when I come back and visit the community, but most people go, oh, yeah, I knew your brother. And I, that, that, believe it or not, that's the most important thing to me. That, I love to be able to hear that and, and talk, uh, talk to people. I don't, uh, I don't know why, you know, he had, he was, he was the, the first child in the family, the old, you know, the oldest son. And he, he was, he, I think he majored in political science and stuff like that, but he was also a pilot and, and he wanted to be an ROTC, but he, he had cancer. He had uh, Hodgkin's at a young age. And so it was, not able to go fly. So I think he, he is always, uh, enjoyed the, the fact that I could fly and he, he came to Houston and Johnson space center and flew the T 38 simulator with me. He didn't, uh, survive to see me fly in space, unfortunately, which, which hurts a lot, but, uh, he, he was very, uh, very important to me. And I don't know why that, that, that happened that, uh, that he had a big impact there. I'm so happy he did. And I don't know if I had the impact, but I did like, uh, did like the career I found my, myself into well, I think your family is very well respected in the community and yeah. this has just been a great honor to have you on today and talk to you and I appreciate you for giving me the time uh, to do that and just tell people about what you've done in your life <laughs> yeah yeah I'm happy happy to, to see you again and uh, I, I, I'm in Houston still I don't really have to stay in Houston for this advisory role. I can I can travel down here. We only have meetings occasionally, and so I'm I'm toying around with the idea. Boy, I'll tell you, at the end of these Houston summers, we we imagine being uh, 
being in Indiana, cool air and soft grass and, you know, not having alligators outside the window. So, <laughs> but, uh, but Houston had, does have a lot to offer to me. I fly out of the airport here with United now and, and Johnson Space Center is almost visible from, from here. I'll go in there a little bit this afternoon, sneak in and out in my mask. We're still kind of under <laughs> lockdown, but yeah, but, uh, it's treated me well. But uh, I do miss uh, do miss Indiana, and uh, great talking to you. And it's always good to hear from people from from the home state. Absolutely. So yeah. And, yep. And for the Peanut Gallery, until next time, this is Chris Landis. I got a guy that'll edit this anyway, so I'll just tell him to make sure he does.